Hi guys, this week's episode, we want to issue a warning before you listen to it. We always like to issue warnings um, on History of a Haunting when we cover a story that has a potentially wide-reaching demonic possession component to it. So if you believe in that, then please send up any kind of prayers of light protection um, as you listen to this episode. Uh, the story that we are going to cover today does uh, allude to some um, demonic activity that is activated when you discuss it. So consider yourselves forewarned. How are you? Welcome to History of a Haunting, everybody. Right? I hope everybody's excited after that fun, fun warning. <laughs> now you know what you're in for. Right, now you know what you're in for. Um, uh, as everybody knows, I am very, very uncomfortable with uh, demonic possession stories. And um, especially ones that, like I said in the warning, can um, potentially uh be activated and and kind of you know have their ears pricked up when you discuss them via any sort of uh communication source such as youtube or a podcast so uh if you have not yet uh i already have i did earlier when i was reading uh laura wrote the script today and so earlier when i read it i did pray to saint michael to um you know guard Laura and I and all of our living beautiful souls in each of our homes um, as we you know shields of light protection um, yep yep um, as we talk about this story to to protect us so um, I encourage all of you to do that if you have not done that yet please do so um, I'm Carrie uh, and I'm Laura yay Hi, Laura. <laughs> hey, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, let's just jump, jump right into the EVPs. It's going to be, we think it's going to be a long episode just because the script is long, but it may not be, but it may be. We're just grab a glass of wine and settle in. Um, so let's go ahead and jump right into our EVPs. Uh, the only one that I have, Laura, for this week is... As always, you know, the one, the only, Spirit Realm Network. Uh, this is actually going to be airing yesterday. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> this episode so dropped. Hopefully, you watched it. <laughs> hopefully, you watched it. And if you did, let us know. Um, but for the Patreons, uh, this is actually going to be airing on uh, Friday, February 25th uh, with Rick McCallum and Dylan Rathman doing a private overnight investigation of the 1910 jail in Globe, Arizona. Uh, you can um, visit them. We're hoping that they will be replaying it uh, on the spiritrealm.net. And um, so, that, you know, those of us who were unable to watch it live 
can watch the recap um, or the re-airing, if you will, of it. And um, yeah, we're very excited for it. And that's all I have. Spirit Realm Network. Um, <laughs> Dylan Rathman is my uh, mentor is Tony and Cherie Rathman. He is their son. He's a very up and coming um, paranormal investigator. So I'm excited to see, you know, the dynamic between him and Rick, who is a um established and um decades long paranormal investigator so it's going to be a good time and of course the 1910 jail and globe is really fucking amazing and and we love it is somebody stealing a car in your neighborhood laura because we did hear the alarm (laughs) i heard it too which is funny because you know i live in a gated neighborhood like kind of away from everything so oh so nothing bad ever happens in a gated community no, I'm just saying, like, there's fucking nothing out here. <laughs> Nobody comes out here. So um, it's pretty quiet. So I'm sure somebody accidentally clicked their button or something. Like, the only thing out here, like, Javelina and Coyotes, that's it. Yeah. Maybe they're trying to steal a car. Mm-hmm. Maybe. They're like, Maybe. I'm fucking out of here. Out of here. Bye-bye. Roadrunner style. Sick of you guys running us over. We're going to start running you over. <laughs> if the car says acne on the side. Then run. I'm all, wait a minute, I have a roadrunner in the garage. <laughs> oh my God, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yep. So that's all I've got. Um, uh, when you guys are listening to this, the majority of you, I am in D.C. And we are at the International Spy Museum. So, you know, uh, I'll try to do some TikToks. I'll try to do some Facebook Lives if they let me. I don't know if they will. Um, but that's where I'm going to be. Where will you be when this episode drops, Laura? Uh, probably rugby. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Zane has rugby. It's his last. They're playing for the championship this weekend, I guess. And stop then, it. Yeah, and then uh, he has his rugby party, like the next day for the end of the season. So yeah, I will. It's rugby, rugby all weekend. Yay, yay. We actually are also going to be recording a very big episode for History of a Haunting. We have a very special guest host that's joining us. We're recording it this Sunday. And uh, Laura, my baby girl, she has a big part. Um, We are going to be covering the Oman House. And for those of you who are familiar with David Oman and his home, um, you already know it's coming and the mountain of work that Laura has on the history. For those of you that don't, um, David Oman built his home 150 feet away from the site of the Sharon Tate murders. So he is going to be taking over for me. I will still be in the episode, but he's going to do my part and talk about the hauntings of his house um, as a result of the Sharon Tate murders. And Laura is going to blend her love of true crime and her budding love of paranormal and write the history and talk about the murders. And then David is going to talk about all of the hauntings and the crazy batshit stuff that goes on in his house. Um, I can only imagine. It's insane. And he's lived there for 20 years. I talked to him last week. We had a lovely conversation and he was like, I've been here for almost 20 years now. And I was thinking, Jesus, oh my God, like I can't imagine what life could possibly be like. 
um, mm-hmm. living in that home. So that episode is going to drop in the month of March. We will announce it as soon as we know what date that's going to drop. That is entirely dependent on me and my editing prowess. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's another thing that we have Um going on this weekend as you're listening to this episode we certainly hope that you will tune in because it is you know it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing it's pretty wild so yeah we got rugby we got spy museum we got (laughs) david oman house we got sharon tate murders we have a lot 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 going on this weekend so we do and then in a week i leave on my trip so Starting to get packed and trying to practice my hiking. I'm scared. Why do you need to practice hiking, Laura? Where are you going? Tell us. I'm going to summit a volcano in Guatemala, outside Antigua. A live volcano? Huh? A live volcano? No, the one live is next to it, and you can kind of overlook and see the lava at night. So that's why it's so cool. Um, but it is supposed to be just a bastard of a hike. So yeah, um, um, uh, get my chest in shape before I try to do a four and a half hour hike or whatever it is. Yeah, some the volcano, which is actually higher than Mount Fuji, I found out. Yay! Oh, good choices. Mm Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say that I was going to go on this trip with Laura and uh, Angelique, and I, I didn't, I didn't uh, because I just had found a brand new job, and um, at the time the, the tickets needed to be booked and things like that. I hadn't had a job yet. Um, by extension, I didn't have life insurance, so I was a little concerned about <laughs> hiking a volcano right next to a live volcano, um, and yeah. So, uh, real sorry I can't make this one. Ish. I'm not really sorry. These bitches are stupid. Yeah, I'll give you. Some, uh, I'll I'll do live updates as we go. Yeah, for please sure. do, please do. All so, right. anyway, ready to jump in? Ready to jump in? I have no overlays. I have no sources. Uh, so you're just gonna have to take it away because. All right, I've had a week. I can do that. Thank so. You. Today's episode is the Demon House located in Gary, Indiana. Um, my sources for today are wikipedia.org, indiestar.com, an article by Marissa Kwiatkowski, uh, theskepticalinquirer.org, uh, the documentary Demon House by Zach Bagan, cdc.gov, and denofgeek.com, and it was an article by Tony Sokol. All right. I love this one. I think this is a fascinating story. Um, everybody, uh, devoted listeners of the podcast, know how I feel about Zach Bagans, but I watched the documentary today, and I got you know I I'll give my opinions on it later. But it, Zach Bagans kind of ratcheted up in my opinion with this one, guys. I gotta I gotta be honest. He did. Yeah, I would recommend the documentary. A thousand percent. All right, let's do it. Ugh. All right. How do you so do that cross them... thing? <laughs> Up, down, left, right? Okay. Forehead. I forget what the boys used to say. Forehead, like chest, wallet, watch or something. I don't remember. Something um, like that. All right. Anyway. anyway if you guys haven't prayed to St. Michael right. for protection now, it's too late. 
Go. <laughs> All right. So in November of 2011, Latoya Amons and her mother, Rosa Campbell, and her three children, then ages 7, 9, and 12, moved into a house located at 3860 Carolina Street in Gary, Indiana. Days after the family moved in, they claimed black flies swarmed the porch in December and kept returning even after the family believed they had killed them. I can't stand flies, and there's a lot of them here in North Carolina. Uh, I was really excited for winter because the flies would go away, so I can't imagine the disgust and horror of this family. Right. Swarms of them. Nope. Uh-uh. No. So there were other strange happenings, too. After midnight, Campbell and Amons both said they occasionally heard the steady clump of footsteps climbing the basement stairs and the creak of the door opening between the basement and the kitchen, but no one was there. Gross. Even after they locked the door, the noise continued. No. Campbell said she awoke one night and saw a shadowy figure of a man pacing her living room. No. She. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying no, God, no. (laughs) Right. She leapt out of bed to investigate and found large, wet boot prints. Mm mm. On March 10th, 2012, Campbell said the family's unease turned to fear. It was about 2 a.m. Normally, the family would have been asleep, but they were mourning the death of a loved one with a group of friends. Mm. Eamon suddenly heard her daughter scream, Mama, Mama, which startled everybody. So they ran into her bedroom where her then 12-year-old granddaughter and a friend were staying. So there's a friend there too, right? In the bedroom. Okay. So somebody's staying over. Sure. So... Amons and Campbell said the 12-year-old was levitating above the bed, unconscious. So according to their account of events, Amon and several others surrounded the girl praying. Campbell said she remembers being terrified. Eventually, Campbell said her granddaughter descended onto the bed, and the girl woke up with no memory of what happened. I, I think if that something like that were to happen to me and my family we Mm. are very spiritual we are very religious we believe in god we most of us were raised in the baptist church but i don't know in that situation in that moment i would have the forethought to start praying right i don't i I agree but i think it depends on your how entwined you are in the in your religion. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Because I, a lot of people, when something happens, that's their first instinct is to pray. So. It, yes. I think my first instinct would be to pull Koi down out of the air. Like. Yeah, absolutely. I you would, know what I mean? I would, like, that I would don't, be my first thing, too. Yeah. I don't know that I, I would just start. Yeah. There's so much in this story that um, warrants a discussion as to mm-hmm. how you would handle the situation I agree. If, if it was if it were you yeah 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 so the family said the people who were visiting that night refused to come back to the house um after this event they started calling around to local churches but most refused to listen huh, eventually you. after listening to campbell and amons talk about the house and visiting it officials at one church told them the carolina street house had spirits in it they recommended the family clean the home with bleach and ammonia and use oil to draw crosses on every door and window. At the church's suggestion, Amon said she poured olive oil on her three children's hands and feet, then smeared oil in the shape of crosses on their foreheads. 
Why they olive also, oil? Did we find out why olive oil? Mm. Does it, it does and does the extra virgin work better? Right. <laughs> I'm sure it does. Okay. Okay. More good. holy. They also reached out to two clairvoyants who said the family's home was besieged by more than 200 demons. That's far too many demons. That is 200 too many. That is 200 too many demons. That's Mm. far too many. So their explanation made sense to the family um, because it meshed with their Christian faith. Um, The best thing you can do is move, Amons remembered the clairvoyants telling her, but moving wasn't an option for the Castro family. Instead, Eamon said she took a clairvoyance advice and made an altar in the basement. Also on a clairvoyance advice, they burned sage and sulfur throughout the home, starting upstairs and working their way down. The smoke was so thick they could hardly breathe. Sulfur, really? Mm, I guess. And oh, she said okay. she also drew like a cross with the smoke. Okay. The person yeah, she was with, typical. yeah, read Psalm 91, allowed as they moved through the house. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. Amon said nothing odd happened for three days after that, but then things got worse. Cool. Right. That's kind of what happens. Otherwise, <laughs> I mean, otherwise it's a boring story. <laughs> and that was it. Thank you for listening. And... Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> the family said demons possessed Ammons and her children, then ages 7, 9, and 12. The kids' eyes bulged, evil smiles crossed their faces, and their voices deepened every time it happened. Gross. Campbell said the demons didn't affect her because she was born with protection from evil. She said she and others like her have a guardian who protects them. So, Eamon said she felt weak, lightheaded, and warm when she was possessed. Her body shook, and she said she felt out of control. I'm sorry, I have to ask. Okay, so the mother is like, it, it didn't bother me because I was born with protection. No, the what grandmother. About- That's a grandmother. Right, right. The, the, was like, no, the mother, but then her daughter gets possessed and her grandkids. Right. So, why isn't she like, why didn't... Where's her guardian with the book? Right. Like, why wasn't her daughter and her grandchildren born with protection? Like, it... it, I know. It's a weird statement. It's a weird statement. Yeah, let's... Okay, that's a good way to put it. It's a weird statement, and we're just going to let it rest for now. Right. Yeah. So, um, Eamon said, you can tell it's different, something supernatural. So the youngest boy, then seven, sat in a closet talking to a boy that no one else could see. The other boy was describing what it felt like to be killed. So the grandma said that the seven-year-old once flew out of the bathroom as if he'd been thrown. And a headboard once smacked into Eamon's daughter, causing a wound that needed stitches. Mm. Yeah, so the 12-year-old would later tell mental health professionals that she sometimes felt as if she were being choked and held down so she couldn't speak or move. She said she heard a voice say that she'd never see her family again and wouldn't live another 20 minutes. Some nights were so bad the family slept at a hotel. So finally, in desperation, they went to their family physician, Dr. Jeffrey Onyoku, and I'm probably killing that, and I apologize, on April 19th, 2012. Dr. O. Dr. O. Dr. Jeffrey. It's fine. <laughs> right. Eamon said she told him that they what they were going through, hoping he might understand. 
Now, he said it was bizarre. 20 years, and I've never heard anything like that in my life, he said. I was scared myself when I walked into the room. So in his medical notes about the visit, he wrote delusions of ghosts in home and hallucinations. He also wrote history of ghosts at home and delusional. Those seem like very contradictory notes. Delusions of ghosts at home, hallucination, and then history of ghosts at home, delusional. So that... Hmm. All right. So uh, what they say happened next also was detailed in a DCS report of a family case manager's interviews with medical staff. So that's Department of Child Services. So by this point, they've gotten it is basically CPS involved because of the kids. Right. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. So what happened at the doctor's office is chaos erupted. Campbell said Eamon's son cursed the doctor in demonic voices raging at him medical staff saw the youngest boy was lifted and thrown into the wall with nobody touching him according to the dcs report medical staff said this right and Mm -hmm. dcs included it in their they correct put it in the report okay so the boys abruptly passed out and wouldn't come to um so the grandmother and the mother held one of the boys in their arms each okay so someone at the doctor's office called 911 during this. Oh, God. And the doctor said seven or eight police officers and multiple ambulances showed up. Everybody was, according to him, this is a quote, everybody was, they couldn't figure out exactly what was happening, he recalled. Okay. Police and emergency, emergency personnel took the boys to Methodist Hospital's campus in Gary. Amons, the mother, said hospital personnel laughed at her desire to anoint her sons in olive oil. Which, okay, I, that, that makes sense. I would. She said, I couldn't talk to them, so I talked to God. The boys woke up in the hospital. The older boy, then nine, acted rationally, but the youngest screamed and thrashed. They said it took five men to hold him down. He's nine. He couldn't be very big, right? No, like I'm picturing Zane. Mm-hmm. And Zane's really big for his age, so. Right, yeah. so. Like but even still, maybe. yeah, but even mm-hmm. still, it requiring five men to hold him down, that's, right. that's, signi- that's a lot. significant, yeah. Uh-huh. So meanwhile, someone called DCS and asked the agency to investigate Ammons for possible child abuse or neglect. The caller, who was not named in the DCS report, speculated that Ammons might have a mental illness. The person believed the children were performing for her. And she was encouraging their behavior. So DCS family case manager, Valerie Washington, was asked to handle the initial investigation. She gave the following account to police and in her intake officer's report. She said hospital personnel examined Amons and her children and found them to be healthy and free of marks or bruises. A hospital psychiatrist, psychiatric, psychiatrist, Jesus Christ, evaluated (laughs) Amons. Like, no words. Aaron is absolutely going to message us about that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, God. So, a hospital psychiatrist evaluated Amons and determined she was of sound mind. So, Washington, who's the caseworker, interviewed the family in the hospital. 
While she spoke with Amons, the seven-year-old boy started growling with his teeth chewing and his eyes rolled back in his head. Yes. The boy locked his hands around his older brother's throat and refused to let go until adults pried his hands open. Mm -mm. Later that evening, Washington and registered nurse Willie Lee Walker brought the two boys into a small exam room for an interview. Campbell, who's a grandmother, joined them. Right. The seven-year-old stared into his brother's eyes and began to growl again. It's time to die, the boy said in a deep, unnatural voice. I will kill you. To his brother? I think it just in general to everybody. Okay. Yeah, well, I think maybe to the adults. While the youngest boy spoke, the older brother started headbutting his grandmother in the stomach. So she grabbed her grandson's hands and started praying. What happened next would rattle the witnesses, and to some it would offer not only evidence, but proof of paranormal activity. According to Washington's original DCS report. And this is the social worker for child services. Yeah, so this is like in her report. Okay. And this is an account that was corroborated by Walker, the nurse. Okay. So the nine-year-old had a weird grin and walked backward up a wall to the ceiling. He then flipped over his grandmother, landing on his feet. And he never let go of her hand. (gasps) So he walked up backwards, got to the ceiling, and then flipped over. So he walked up the wall, flipped over her, and stood there, Walker said. There's no way he could have done that. Later, police asked Washington whether the boy had run up the wall as though performing an acrobatic trick. And she said no. She said the boy glided backward on the floor, wall, and ceiling, according to a police report. I, I, it's, it take, I would imagine it would take a, a tremendous amount of skill. Like, I'm looking at my walls right now. It would take a tremendous amount of skill to even just run up the wall. And you wouldn't get very far, I don't imagine. So here's, like, a skeptical theory on it, and I think I might mention it also later, okay. was that the grandmother's holding his hands, so he's pushing off of her, and she's holding him, and he's walking up the wall, and then flips over. Okay. So that's what the skeptics said about that, that because she was holding his hands, like, he was basically at what? Their, at his house. arm strength and her arm strength right. was keeping... Yeah, I saw that in the Zach Bagans documentary, like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, if he's holding her hand, like the woman, the child, was mm-hmm. walking backward up the wall. That's pretty yeah. tough. It's pretty That's tough, a tough right? one. That is a tough one. That's a right. tough one. Okay. So according to the Zach Bagans documentary, Demon House, she's still six to the story and believes it was something supernatural yeah and we'll kind of talk more about her later yeah um but she told police she was scared when it happened and ran out of the room <laughs> and as for the nurse um you ran out of the room with me <laughs> they just fucking took off <laughs> mm, we're gonna go confer bye uh-huh out the door um they said we didn't know what was going on walker said that was crazy i was like everybody gotta go <laughs> <laughs> so according to Washington's report, they told a doctor what happened. The doctor who did not believe them asked the boy to walk up the wall again. Walker said, um, she told the doctor he doubted that um, he could repeat the feat. And she said the kid was not himself when he did that. Yeah. 
And the boy said he didn't remember what happened and couldn't do it. Yeah. So Walker, who said he previously believed in demons and spirits, thought the boy's behavior was had some demonic spirit to it, but also might have been the result of a mental illness. A police report quoted Washington saying she believed there could be an evil influence affecting the family. So Eamon said she spent the night at the hospital with her seven-year-old son, while Campbell took Eamon's daughter and older son to a relative's home in Gary. The next maybe day, it's just Gary. Right? Sorry, Gary, Indiana, but maybe you guys are kind of hella fucked. It's not untrue. It was at one point the murder capital of the United uh, States. Of the United States, yeah. yeah. I, did, I did see that. Um, yeah, it's heavy crime, not awesome, bad economics, you know, situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe just the whole entire town is not the yeah, best. It's not going so good. No. So the next day was Eamon's youngest son's eighth birthday. Eamon said DCS officials asked Campbell to bring the older children back to the hospital, presumably to talk more about what happened. The family celebrated the boy's birthday by singing and eating a miniature cake. Then Eamon said Washington told them the children wouldn't be going home. DCS took the emergency step of taking custody of the children without a court order. Um, All of the children were experiencing spiritual and emotional distress, Washington wrote. Amen said she and her and her children cried because they didn't want to be separated. She said we'd already been through so much and fought so hard for our lives. It was obvious we obvious we were a team and we were beating it, whatever we were fighting. We made it through together as a team and they separated us. Yeah, I don't love that at all. And this isn't the first time that you and I have covered a story where a single mother is experiencing paranormal activity or what they believe to be paranormal activity. And she tries to reach out for help and somebody calls the police or child protective services and they get involved in what could only make a really horrible situation even worse. Even though it was probably the best thing for the children. Mm -hmm. I just, this is one of the, the things about this particular case that, trips me up in my mm-hmm. analyzation of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like any anytime yeah. children are taken away from their parents, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's traumatic for them. It's so traumatic. Especially by force. Mm-hmm. Especially with all this shit going on. I mean you're right. It was probably the best thing for them to get them out of the situation, but Right. Um but what parent terrible. is I mean, and I'm sure that there are and we'll talk about this more in the in the end, but what parent is so in mentally ill that they would carry on such a thing and 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 have their children taken away and i i mean i'm sure that they're probably i, I don't know this this one's got a lot of theories guys a lot yeah there's, there's a, lot a lot of there's a lot to unpack there really is yeah so um Speaking of, um, the Reverend Michael McAnew was leading Bible study in his living room the morning of April 20th, 2012, when he received a call from a hospital chaplain. McAnew had been the priest at St. Stephen Martyr Parish in Merrillville for more than 10 years, but had never received a request like this one. The chaplain asked him to perform an exorcism on Eamon's nine-year-old son. Magano agreed to interview the family after Sunday Mass a few days later. He's like, the f- I'll just talk to them. 
I'm not going yeah. to you exercise. Let me just have a conversation first. <laughs> See what I think. <laughs> so the first step Magno said was ruling out natural causes for what Amons and her family said they were experiencing. He visited the family in the Carolina Street home April 22nd, 2012. Why is it going to be um, Carolina so- Street? Jesus. Yeah. For two hours, Amons and Campbell detailed the phenomena for him. Then Campbell interrupted the interview to point out a flickering bathroom light. The flickering stopped each time Magno walked over to investigate, which he attributed to a demonic presence. It must be scared of me, he said that he thought later. The interview was interrupted again when Campbell pointed out Venetian blinds in the kitchen, swinging even though there was no air current. Magano said he also saw wet footprints throughout the living room. I'm fucking hella creeped. I'm sorry. <laughs> the minute you said that, and I was like, let me check out my own Venetian blinds. <laughs> You're like, nothing's happening. Right? I don't love it. Um, Thank you, Michael. Nothing's happening. All right. Amon's complained about having a headache. Magano said she convulsed when he placed a crucifix against her head. Mm. After a four-hour interview, Magano said he was convinced the family was being tormented by demons. He said he also believed there were ghosts in the house. So Magano blessed the house before he left, praying, reading from the Bible, and sprinkling holy water in each room. I'd be dumping it by the fucking bucketfuls. Right? I would just be in the bathtub in fucking holy water. (laughs) (laughs) Just shower me in it. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) He told Amons and Campbell to leave because it wasn't safe. So they temporarily moved in with a relative. But less than a week later, the two women were back on the Carolina Street house to to let Washington, the DCS family case manager, Mm, check the condition of the home. So Washington had asked a Lake County police officer to come with her. (laughs) And two other officers, one each from Gary and the Hampton Police Departments, asked to join them out of, quote, professional curiosity, unquote. So last time they, they did were that, like what the hell, right? <laughs> yeah. Last time they, they did to that for themselves, right? So Amons refused to go inside, but Campbell agreed to accompany the group, um, and her kids were still in DCS com- custody. Oh, so the main floor of the house had three bedrooms, a living room, one bathroom, hardwood floors, and a small open-style kitchen. And there was a door in the kitchen that led to a basement with concrete floors. Directly under the stairs was a dirt floor. And the concrete around it was jagged, like it had been broken. Okay. So the makeshift altar Amons had created was still in place. Oh, that's right. She put it in the basement. That's right. Because that's where they think they thought everything was kind of coming from. Along with rings of salt, she had poured against the basement walls to dissuade the demons, according to a Hammond Police Department report. Now, I believe this is the visit that you can see... Um, that they kind of recorded a bunch, and you can actually watch them go through the house in the in the um, demon in house, the video in the documentary. Or I think it's in the documentary. It's all over it YouTube might also too. Just be yeah, probably like yeah. On, on YouTube or something. YouTube. Okay. Um, I watched some like a bunch of stuff. So it kind of gets blurred together, <laughs> right? Um, Campbell okay. told officers that demons seem to emanate from beneath the stairs. So Austin, the Gary police captain, was one of those officers. Yeah. He later stated he did believe in ghosts and the supernatural, but said he didn't believe in demons. Stop right there. (laughs) How? 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 
how do you believe in ghosts and the supernatural, but you don't believe in demons? I feel like if you believe in God, then you must believe in Satan. And if you believe in angels, you must believe in demons. Like, I've... I don't think that's true because a lot of religions, they have, well, like, they don't, they don't have hell. Judaism doesn't have hell, correct? Right. Okay. But they um, have a Dybbuk. Where is that coming nah, from? I mean, it just, just I'm a, just... Wow. Huh. I got lots of questions. We might right. have to be taking some deep dives into this podcast. But <laughs> anyway, that's that's my take on it. I it, believe in ghosts and the supernatural, but not in demons. Um, yeah. I think that's a critical error, personally. Well, he said he changed his mind after he visited the house. Aha! There you go. Okay. All right. So during the interview with Campbell, one of the officer's audio recorders malfunctioned, mm. um, according to the police records. The power light flashed to indicate the batteries were dying, even though the officer had placed fresh batteries in the recorder earlier that day. Another officer Common. recorded audio, and when he played it back later, heard an unknown voice whisper, Hey. According heard to that. Lake County Police Records. I've heard did that. You, did you hear it? Yeah, I, yeah, I can hear I heard it. that, yeah. Um, another... Um, Oh, wait, wait. The, that officer also took photos of the house. In one photo of the basement stairs, there was a cloudy white image in the upper right-hand corner. When an officer enlarged the photo, that cloud appeared to resemble a face. Ew. The enlargement also revealed a second green image that police say looked like a female. Hmm, okay. Austin said photos he snapped with his iPhone also seemed to have strange silhouettes in them. The radio in his police issued Ford malfunction on the way home. I mean, it's a Ford. Yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> later, <laughs> later, Austin said the garage at his Gary home refused to open, even though the power was on everywhere else. Um, Austin also said, this is the police guy, the captain guy. Right. That the driver's seat and his personal 2005 Infinity also started moving backwards and forward on its own. That'd be creepy he, and scary as fuck if you're driving. Yeah. And he said he, he, he took the car to a dealership and the mechanic told him the motor on the driver's seat was broken, which the mechanic said could have caused a distraction leading to an accident. Now, again, thousand percent. you're kind of relating all these things to the one, to going to the demon house, which doesn't, one doesn't sure. necessarily. I mean, it could have just been a confluence. Yeah, a confluence right. of. The cause of, and effect is not. Exactly. It's not to, quite established. Right. Yet. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So my part, I'm going to bring it on home with the worst of the story. As I love to do. (laughs) So everybody um, has their talents, Carrie, and that's your talent. That's my talent. Talking about really awful shit. So the, um, police captain, you said Austin, Mm -hmm. he's a captain, right? Okay. Captain. He says that he found himself starting to believe her claims of paranormal activity, but the mental health professionals evaluating Amons and her children remain skeptical. And that's kind of, that's kind of the crux of it, right? You know, there's, there's the, the, um, the legal aspect of it that is, that's trying to remain logical and, um, in the best interest of the children. And then there's the family. 
that's mm-hmm. experiencing everything that's going on. It's a very unique dynamic. It's which makes this story even more difficult and somewhat treacherous to navigate when you're telling it like we are. Well, and plus, there's this is present day, so most of these stories we're talking. Yeah, they're older, right? So, and this uh, stuff happened in front of. DCS people, medical professionals, mm-hmm. police officers. So, yeah, they're in one way it gives them a lot more credibility. Um, but again, because it is present day, I mean, you're dealing with DCS and the police, and you know, yeah. people are calling nine one one, and yeah. you know, because this shit is fucking weird and crazy shit is happening. So of course, like, yeah, they're gonna get people involved. Yeah, and it's 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 really difficult to listen to the entire story and figure out, especially for me, to figure out which side you land on. But let's see, mm-hmm. let's see what the end of the story be- becomes. So in April 2012, DCS uh, petitioned Lake Juvenile Court for temporary wardship of the three children, and the request was granted. So Latoya lost her children because of this. Um, when we covered the San Pedro haunting, she too had, uh, child protective services come and investigate her. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a situation where you're going through the most unbelievable experiences, even to yourself. And then you ask for help and this is what you get. You're accused of child abuse you're accused of any number of things and the reason that dcs got involved with her case and had actually investigated her before was because her children were missing an exorbitant amount of school but they were because they were becoming sick by the ongoings in the house so it's like what do you do as a parent like you and i are both single mothers what Mm -hmm. do you do as a parent in that situation, it's a very provocative conversation and we will certainly delve into all of that in a sec. Um, So DCS found that Amos had neglected her children's education by not having them in school regularly. Like I just said, the agency made the same finding in 2009, according to its records. So, Anne told Washington, who was the social worker assigned to her case, there were times she got to send the kids to school because, quote, the spirits would make them sick or they would be up all night without sleep. So DCS temporarily placed her daughter and older son at St. Joseph's Carmelite Home in East Chicago. Eamon's youngest son was sent to Christian Haven in Wheatfield for a psychiatric evaluation. Think about how scary that had to have been for a seven, nine, and eight-year-old. That had to be terrifying. Clinical psychologist Stacy Wright, who had evaluated Eamon's youngest son, said that the boy acted possessed when he was challenged, but redirected or asked questions that he didn't want to answer. Um, in her evaluation, she wrote that he seemed coherent and logical, except when he talked about the demons. So that brings a little bit of question into another aspect of this story and what's happening to right. these children. 
So it was then that the eight-year-old stories became, quote, bizarre, fragmented, and illogical. It appeared that his stories changed each time that he told them. He also changed the subject, and he would start to quiz right on math problems and asking her about outer space. So he would sort of deflect. He would ask, can you die if you go to space? How do you get to space? Do you have to wear a helmet and a suit? So I mean, as a mother of an eight-year-old, like... These are legit questions. (laughs) These are legit things that all of a sudden you'll just get random questions like that. I think that that to me sounds like any normal eight year old. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Random. Random stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, Koi certainly did when we would be working on homework or be it math or reading or, you know, spelling. He would veer off into a completely different um, train of thought because he didn't Mm -hmm. want to focus on the task at hand. So that doesn't necessarily mean a lying child. It just means a typical, like, eight-year-old child. Right. In my Limited mind. attention. They're going to mm-hmm. get bored. This yeah. is not exciting to them to be questioned forever. Right. Exactly. So now they want to talk about space. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Me too. So it's normal. <laughs> Frankly. Um, so Wright believed that the eight-year-old did not suffer from a true psychotic disorder. Quote, this appears to be an unfortunate and sad case of a child who has been induced into a delusional system perpetuated by his mother and potentially reinforced by other relatives. This is what she wrote in her psychological evaluation, which as a mother and being able to empathize with this mother, I would be crushed to think that somebody that is, has enough power to take my children away from me thinks this of me. I think I would be utterly crushed, especially if this is the situation that, I was living in with my kids. So clinical psychologist, Joel Schwartz, who evaluated Eamon's daughter and older son came to a similar conclusion. He said, quote, there appears to be a need to assess the extent to which her daughter may have been unduly influenced by her mother's concerns that the family was exposed to paranormal experiences. So Eamon's daughter told this gentleman that she saw shadowy figures in the Carolina Street home. She also said she twice went into trances. Eamon's older son told Schwartz that, quote, doors would slam and stuff started moving around. Eamon's was also examined several times by psychologists who said she was, quote, guarded, but did not seem to be, quote, experiencing symptoms of psychosis or thought disorder. One psychologist recommended Amons be assessed to, quote, determine whether her religiosity, did I say that right? Right. Oh, yay. Maybe masking. So then I choke on masking. Right. (laughs) To determine whether her religiosity may be masking underlying delusional ideations or perceptual disturbances. Fuck you for putting that in my part. (laughs) But I got it right. You did it. I did it. Um, Eamons and all three kids continued to, the, to insist they were possessed by demons. 
So DCS set goals for the family. One of them stipulated that the children, quote, not discuss demons and being possessed and take responsibility for their actions. They also needed to participate in therapy to address past behaviors. So while the DCS officials credited Amens for sharing a close bond with her children, the agency also said she needed to use alternate forms of discipline not directly related to religion and demon possession. I... Who does that? I mean, I'm sure there are people that do that, but I feel like that... Did they find something in the way she would discipline the children that well, that's what likened? Okay, so I have the same question. Like, is she disciplining the kids being like, go play with the demons? Like, you know, like, is that how they're getting in trouble? Like, you... Right. If you don't do this, the demons will come and get you. Like, is she, right. is she putting a, a certain amount of um, religious ideology and the fear of Satan and hell and in the punishment right. she's giving to these the kids because nothing that I and I'm I'm I'm, I'm familiar with this story mm-hmm. um, but nothing that I've read has said anything of the sort like right and this is the only time that they talk about it and I just thought I thought that was weird too I'm like well what yeah. is- what is she using for discipline then? Right. Or maybe it, they just don't want them to talk about demons. I don't know. Fuck. I, yeah, right. Yeah. There's so, mm-hmm. I like, I have so many, I have so many questions. Mm-hmm. So appropriate discipline included encouragement rules and withholding privileges, which you and I know that's kind of the, the go-to that, pediatricians and behavioral therapists and things like that that's what they're going to say you need to be a little more strict with your rules and your mm-hmm. you need to like reward good behavior and you know punish bad behavior in specific ways Correct. um so they said that she could work on those goals during supervised visits with her children. So Amos also had to find a job and appropriate housing quote due to the paranormal activity at the house on Carolina Street. So in one hand, they're saying, hey, this is a bunch of bullshit and you need to quit talking about demons when you punish your kids. But at the same time, you can't live at this house where all the demons live. You need to find new housing. It's... Yeah. It's you gotta of, love that. Yeah. It's... it's I, I, I failed to find a word for it. So... Um, While Amons worked on meeting those objectives, police and DCS officials continued to investigate strange happenings at the house. But the group was a bit larger this time. So Campbell, Amons, Captain Austin, and two other police officers from the initial visit went back to the Carolina Street home the afternoon of May 10th, 2012. Police officers visited after work hours. So that kind of goes back to your whole professional curiosity thing in your part. Exactly. Yeah. So they were joined by the um, priest Manigo, two Lake County officers with a police dog. Why you got to bring in the dog? Leave the dog out of it. Um, And DCS family case manager, Samantha Illick. So Illick, who was there in an official capacity, told the star that she volunteered to go in Washington's place because Washington, the woman who had, had seen the backward walking up the wall. and The she, original case manager. Yeah, yeah, the original one. Uh, she didn't want to go back in the house. 
So she was there in her stead. So a county officer took his police dog around the home, but the dog didn't show any interest in any particular area, thank God, uh, according to police records. Everybody else then headed into the basement. So the new case manager, Illick, she touched some strange liquid she saw dripping in the basement. She said that it felt slippery and yet sticky between her fingers. So the priest, Manigo, told police that he wanted to check the dirt under the stairs for a pentagram or personal objects that might have been cursed. He said a pentagram might indicate a demonic a demonic presence and a possible portal to hell. Again, this was all in the Lake County Police Report. So, he thought that maybe if somebody had died in the house and was buried under the stairs, it could explain paranormal activity, which you and I have covered enough locations to know that this is, you know, a logical conclusion, right? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the police officers dug a four foot by three foot hole beneath the stairs, unearthing the following items. A pink press-on fingernail, a pair of women's white panties, a political shirt pin, a lid for a small cooking pan, Socks with the bottoms cut off below the ankles. So I'm guessing the heels of the socks, maybe? I guess, yeah. They were children's socks. Uh, candy wrappers and a heavy metal object that looked like a weight for a drapery cord. Um, which sounds like kind of a mishmash of crap, honestly. Right. It just... But it's weird that it... Why was it buried in a four-foot hole underneath the basement stairs? All of this stuff. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Mm -hmm. So, finding nothing else, the officer replaced the dirt and raked over it. Oh, this just, this looks perfectly normal. Let's just (laughs) fix what we just messed up. Um, So, the priest, Manigo, blessed some salt, which she said is a barrier to evil. And if you watch Supernatural, you know that it is. Um, (laughs) And he spread it under the stairs and throughout the basement. So... Illick, this one, this social worker, says she was later standing in the living room with the rest of the group when her left pinky finger started to tingle and whiten. She complained that it felt broken. So my mom often has this happen to her Mm -hmm. where the circulation in her fingers um becomes compromised, if you will. Mm-hmm. So the the fingers turn stark white. Mm-hmm. So kind of like what my fingers look like down here, but mm-hmm. the whole finger, and it turns cold, which is a sign of, of poor circulation in the hand. Right. Um, which she does have nerve damage in her hand, so that accounts for that. This woman, however... It was in the fingers that she touched the oily substance with. Exactly. Yeah. Which was very weird. So less than 10 minutes later, she said that she felt she was having a panic attack. She couldn't breathe. And so she walked outside to wait for the rest of the group. 
So when the priest started questioning Amens inside the house, she complained of a headache and shoulder pain, and she joined Illich, this woman with the hand, outside. So Captain Austin said he left the house at nightfall. He, who has been shot and has investigated murders, rapes, and armed robberies during his more than three decades on the force, said he wasn't staying in the house past dark. Don't fucking blame him. The other officers continued to walk through the home. On the main floor, they noticed the same oil-like substance dripping from Venetian blinds in a bedroom, but they couldn't figure out where it was coming from. So, and all of this is in the police reports. So what they did was to make sure that Campbell or Amens hadn't poured, poured oil onto the blinds, two of the officers actually wiped the blinds clean of this random oil. And it wasn't like coming from the top or the bottom. It was like smack dab in the middle. So they wiped it off. They wiped it off clean. What they then did was they sealed the room the blinds were in for 25 minutes and then they stood nearby so nobody could walk in so that like the daughter and her mom couldn't go in and be like hey we're faking and we're gonna pour some olive oil which by the way is hella expensive and don't pour it on your blinds (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's just not cheap but what happened was nobody went in nobody came out when they went back into the room the oil had reappeared according to their records uh, the priest Manigo told police the liquid was a manifestation or, or um, a manifestation of a paranormal or demonic presence. So he wrote a report detailing his findings and asked Bishop Dale Mezick's permission to perform a full exorcism on Amens. He had previously um, performed a minor rite, which didn't require the backing of the Catholic Church. With this request, he actually was asking for the Catholic Church, the Church's permission, which would just make the exorcism all that much more powerful because it had the backing of the church. Right. Yeah. So apparently this um, Bishop Dale Melzick had never authorized an exorcism in 21 years as the Bishop of the Diocese of Gary, Indiana. So Debbie Bosick, who was the director of communications for the diocese, said she cannot comment on whether Melzick had ever approved an exorcism for confidentiality reasons. But in general, she said that such an action would require his approval or any bishop's approval. Mm -hmm. Um, Melzick initially denied Manigo's request to do a church-sanctioned exorcism. But um, the bishop told him to contact other priests who have performed exorcisms. Uh, Manico says that he needed the other priests to give him the ritual for a minor exorcism, which, like I said, does not require church approval. The priests consulted him and told him to look it up on the internet. Right, Google it, bitch. Basically, Google it. (laughs) How about you Google it? So Mm -hmm. what he did was an intense blessing on the home to expel the bad spirits. The same day, he performed a minor exorcism on Latoya Amons. The ritual consisted of prayers, statements, and appeals to cast out the demons. Two police officers 
and Illich, the DCS family case manager, attended the ritual. Can you imagine for just a tiny second, like a social worker being like, I gotta go to an exorcism. You're gonna need to clear my day. Right? Uh-uh. So it, like, there's a lot of weird shit with how many people got involved in this, I think. Yeah. Um, and to the extent that the yes. police and the caseworkers were yeah. going to the, to the house, going mm-hmm. to the exorcism with the you know hanging out with the priest like all these people were going together so to me i think it's kind of strange like they obviously wanted to see what was going on they thought something was weird and they wanted to see it and they couldn't explain it when they saw whatever it was they saw yeah yeah and i'm not even saying it it was it was demons or even supernatural but they knew something was fucking weird fucking weird yeah fucking weird so the the DCS case manager said that she left believing that something was going on, although she wouldn't go as far as saying it was demonic. She said she got chills during during the nearly two hour rite. And in fairness, to listen to that for two hours, it would even if you're um, an atheist, I think, or an agnostic. I feel like just to be in the presence of something like that for two hours Mm -hmm. the ceremony alone i feel like would move an individual whether they believe it or not i feel like the ceremony alone would be beautiful and magnanimous enough to move an individual that's i agree there's a big power suggestion there there is there is that's right yes Mm -hmm. so she said we felt like someone was in the room with you someone breathing down your neck she said she had a string of medical problems after visiting the home. And this is something that I do want to talk about um, after we finish the story because there was a number of these medical coincidences. Yes, there are. With people that were a part of this home and attached to it in some way. So she... A week after she visited the house for the last time, she got third-degree burns from a motorcycle. Me too. I've had that happen. Um, It's not the greatest. Uh, Within 30 days, she also broke three ribs jet skiing. Okay. I can see that. Uh, She also broke broke a hand when she hit a table, and then she broke an ankle running in flip-flops. That's kind of a lot of travesty and, like clumsy trauma to have into one individual but also within like, 30 like, slow days down. like she's, <laughs> she's on a motorcycle she's jet skiing like she's running in flip-flops like i mean it's not like she was just sitting at home and she fell out of a chair like she was doing highly i mean some activities that do contain a, a decent amount of danger they do they do, yeah. But the odds of all you of them to run. <laughs> don't run in flip flops. My God, for real. I mean, um. So she said that I had friends who wouldn't talk to me because they believed that something had attached itself to me. Her joking response: "I'm already evil." They try to find something that's not evil and corrupt it. They wouldn't waste their time on me, girl. That's the way to believe. But yet, <laughs> you got fucked up. Um, after the minor minor ritual, Manigo told Amons to look up the names of the demons that were tormenting her. Each demon has a name and a personality, Manigo said. 
A name has power, the priest added, and he planned to use those names to fight the demons during the exorcisms. And guys, loyal listeners, everybody who has listened to all of our episodes, we talk about that ad nauseum in a lot of our episodes. Annalise Michelle, Roland Doe, we talk Mm -hmm. about that. Um, They need the demon's name. That holds power over them to be able to expel them. So... This is no different. Eamon said that she and a friend looked up the demon's names online. Google it. This mm-hmm. episode is brought to you by Google, is what I'm putting in the show notes. Um, <laughs> uh, she, they looked up the demon's names online by searching for the demons that represented the problems that the family had been having. The computer kept shutting down. She said she felt sick and lightheaded. This wouldn't be the first complaint of sick and lightheaded of anybody in that building. It happens all the time. All the time. So, um, Eamon said that they actually found names that fit. One such name was Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. Uh, she said they also found names of demons that torture and hurt kids, which she felt explained what happened in the Carolina Street house. She said other high-ranking demons were also assigned to her, including lieutenants and sergeants. After the minor rite, Manigo said that Bishop Melzik gave him permission to exercise Amons. The ritual is the same as the minor exorcism, but more powerful because it has the backing of the Catholic Church, which... I could go all day long and burn sage and repeat cleansing rituals in my house, your house, anybody's home. But the fact that I'm an ordained minister just bolters, bolsters that power because I am ordained by the church of God. I'm a reverend. So when I do it, it's more powerful than if, say, you were to do it. It's pretty fascinating. It's pretty powerful. I mean, (laughs) you're such a queen. I got the juice, man. You do. Is it orange juice or what kind of juice are we talking? It is. Anyway, so that's just sort of uh, an explanation of like, once you have the power of the church of God, then, you know, things are a little bit stronger. Meaning I'm better than you. Um, <laughs> really, she just wants to gloat. Go on. Really, I just want to gloat. Um, Continue. Thank you. Uh, reverends always wear these big hoop earrings, right? Like, <laughs> right. Hmm? Reverend around the way girl, can you please continue to story? <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> he ultimately performed three major exorcisms on Amon's <laughs> around the way girl. Jesus. <laughs> We're going to end it with this song. (laughs) Uh, Two in Latin he did. And one, or no, I'm sorry. Two in English and the last one in Latin in June 2012 at his church. During each, he praised God and condemned the devil. He pressed a crucifix to Amon's head as he spoke. I cast you out, unclean spirit, along with every satanic power of the enemy, every specter from hell, and all of your fell companions, in the name of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. Who wasn't moved by me saying that and bumbling through that? It's because <laughs> I'm an ordained minister. I'm sorry to make fun of that. Go it's ahead. the hoops. Go on. 
Sorry, God, please don't be mad at me. Uh, he said that his voice continued to get louder and more forceful until the demon weakened. He said he could tell how strong the demon was by how much Amon's convulsed. God, just foul all around. Two police officers who had kept in touch with Manigo since the home investigation stood nearby in case Ammons needed to be restrained. Ammons said she prayed with Manigo until it became too painful. She said she felt as if something inside her was trying to hold on and inflict pain at the same time. She said it was different from a natural pain, but felt as intense as giving birth. Goodbye. No, thank you. <laughs> um, mm-mm. She said, I was hurting all over from the inside out. I'm trying to do my best and be strong. Eventually, she fell asleep. She said that was the demon's way of lessening the ritual's effect. In between the second and third exorcisms, Manigo said that he went on a retreat. Okay, I'm just going to take a little vacation because this has been kind of a lot. <laughs> a woman who assisted... <laughs> what? <laughs> I just think it's funny. Like, yeah. I need a break. <laughs> I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> in between the second and third exorcisms, Manigo said that he went on a retreat. A woman who assisted him with some of the exorcisms helped set up a backup plan in case Amons had problems while he was gone. So the, the woman wrote a long demon name. Manigo said he can't remember which one was on it. She wrote it on a piece of paper and tucked it into an envelope, then surrounded it with blessed salt. If Amos had problems, the woman would burn the envelope. By this time, Amos and her mother had moved to Indianapolis, but they they drove back for the exorcisms and the court hearings as her children were still in DCS custody. Goddamn. Like six months, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fucking long-ass time. Yeah. So Manigo, the priest, blessed the family's new home to prevent more problems. But Amos called while Manigo was on his retreat, complaining of bad dreams. So the woman burned the envelope, the woman assisting the priest. She mm-hmm. saved the ashes to burn later in a church bonfire. After that, Amos said that her nightmares ended. So, in the final exorcism at the end of June 2012, Manigo said that he prayed and berated the demons in Latin rather than English. Police officers did not attend, so Manigo said his brother stood guard. Manigo said Amens convulsed while he condemned the demons, but did not convulse during prayer. When she fell asleep, he said words of thanksgiving. It would be the very last time that Ammon saw Manigo. She and her mother drove back to Indianapolis, where they now live without fear. So her old home on Carolina Street became an object of local curiosity, so much so that the owner and landlord, Charles Reed, called the Gary Police Department to ask officers to stop driving by the house because it was scaring (laughs) his new tenant. (laughs) I bet that's what was scaring them. He mm-hmm. said there were no problems in the home before or after Amons and her family lived there. I thought I heard it all, said Reed, who had been a landlord for 33 years. This one was new to me. My belief system has a hard time jumping over that bridge. And I love that sentence because mm-hmm. it's so relatable. And I feel like that's a, that's a thought. That very sentence is a thought that's entered your mind. 
in certain like stories that we tell on this podcast or locations that we investigate paranormally, I feel like that's what you think. My belief system has a hard time jumping over that bridge. 100%. It's very well put. Yeah, it's very well put. I and I and I I heard you in every word of that when I re- when I <laughs> yeah. read it. When I read it. Um, when told of the Catholic Church's involvement in the situation, however, Reed said that that made him less skeptical. Does it make you less skeptical about the story, Laura? No. Doesn't? Mm-mm. Okay. So, fortunately, Latoya Amons regained custody of her three children in November 2012, about six months after they had been removed from her custody. They continued to check in on the children and make sure that they were going to school until the case was closed that following February 2013. Amons called her children's return the happiest day of her life. She said that they screamed and jumped up and down when she picked them up from the DCS office in Gary. It was just awesome. She said, I hadn't been that happy in God knows how long. So her children said that they felt safe after they left the house on Carolina Street, which I went to. I'm glad we're not talking about it anymore for now. Uh, The three left their demonic voices and complaints behind them. No demonic presences or spirits in the home, DCS family case manager Christine Olegenek wrote in a team meeting note dated January 10th, 2013. She did not return um, calls from newspapers seeking a comment. Mm. Um, She did say that the family is no longer fixated solely on religion to explain or cope with the children's behavioral issues. Um, Her and her supervisor wrote uh, that sentence in a request for a dismissal of wardship dated January 24th, 2013. For her part, LaToya said that it was not the psychologist who resolved her problems, but God. When you hear something like this, she said, don't assume it's not real because I've lived it. I know that it's real. So, Zach Bagans, your friend and mine, um, the host and executive producer of the, the Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures, bought the house uh, sight unseen in 2014. And while when he did, he created a documentary about the the house and the people that he talked to. And what led him to demolishing the house two years later. So everybody knows how I feel about Zach Bagans. Um, I think, Laura, you're in a modicum of agreement with me on him. Um, I'm sure he's a a wonderful stand-up guy. I bet he's a really great son. But I don't... um, I don't like, subscribe to, or believe in his brand of investigating. That doesn't mean that he's not a good investigator. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have techniques or do things that produce compelling paranormal evidence. And this documentary, Laura, is really no different. 
And I wonder what you think, because you saw the documentary before I did. Yes. So do you agree with what I just said? Yes. Okay. I feel like um, he did a good job investigating. Um, yeah. And he did cover bases to explain things outside of the realm of the paranormal. Yes. So I appreciate that. So there is scientific documentation about things that were happening in the house that mm-hmm. are not paranormal. Yeah. Um, so he, you know, he, he did his homework. He did his homework and he also addressed the, the idea that he might be getting scammed in all of this. You 100%. Know, um, which I really thought was a fresh approach that he doesn't normally take. I don't think on on his show. No, and I think it was really truthful because at the time when he started the documentary, um, he had been in contact with the family, and they mm. had kind of agreed to talk yeah. to him. And then when he got there and he had bought the house, they wouldn't talk to him, and they said it was because he had been in the house. But also, they were in talks with movie studios and yeah. stuff for the rights to their story. So yeah, um, it lends more to that being the reason why to me. You know, I that, think so too. Yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, I think so too. Yeah. So he says something was inside that house that had the ability to do things that I have never seen before. Things that others carrying the highest form of credibility couldn't explain either. There was something there that was very dark, yet highly intelligent and powerful. But he said it very Ferris Bueller's teacher. <laughs> I struggled with even powering through this documentary because he's so thematic and dramatic and almost like listening to Ross Geller narrate a documentary. I was like, get the sentence out, my God. But in his documentary, Zach Bagans is racked and wrecked by Catholic guilt. He takes everything he saw while repossessing the house in Gary, Indiana, very personally. The building he bought sight unseen, which is just bananas in my mind, frankly. But I don't have... Who's got money? I don't have his kind of money. Yeah, I don't have his kind of money. Um... The building he bought didn't just house any demons, but upper echelons of the hierarchy, he claims. It wreaked havoc with Bagan's crew, drove suicidal thoughts into an innocent bystander, which this was the most disturbing part of the documentary. A woman who had lived in the home. Yeah, a woman who had lived in the home two years prior to Latoya Amons and her mother and her children. They came back after Zach Bagans bought the home. And she mm-hmm. brought her children with her. And one of her children um, was driven to suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. after being in the home. And they had never lived there. Her mother had lived there when she was a child. And it was it was just one of those. No, no, no. I think they did live there. And it was her brother. Was that... it? It was her brother that had lived in the basement and was killed while they her brother had lived lived, yes her brother had been murdered he had lived in the basement her brother had been murdered not in the basement but murdered while he was still living there right and her and her daughter event like a couple weeks after visiting i think it was three weeks later had attempted suicide she Um, was not successful yeah she did not complete but 
they exercised her on the show. Like, he recorded mm-hmm. the exorcism with this priest, Manigo. Um, mm-hmm. It was... I, w- I was texting Laura, and I was like, oh, my God, they're fucking ex- exercising that daughter. Like, I was... I have not ever seen a Zach Bagans show or feature or whatever quite like this. Um, I thought it was... Uh, it, it did. It... it 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 held my attention and um it's difficult for that man to do that with me because he's just so theatrical i'm sure he's a wonderful guy i'm sure he's a really stellar demonologist and paranormal investigator and i think if i could go on a paranormal investigation with him where it was just like no cameras and he was like actually doing it i think i would learn a bunch of stuff but he's just so theatrical and because he is he's one of the longest Raining paranormal reality show guys. There is. Yeah, I mean, he is super successful. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Yeah, for sure. So, in addition to um, the the woman who had lived there for a couple of years, where her daughter was driven to suicidal um, ideation and thoughts, um, one of his crew went a little loopy nut job. Um, it, 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 it's interesting to watch on the one hand, you kind of feel for the guy on the other hand, you're like, I think this is all a bunch of made up bullshit. It's really subjective. And I think that it has to do with the way it was filmed, the way it was shot, the way it was presented to the audience. That's all I'm going to say. I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, The property did take a major toll on Zach Bagan's health, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to cover this location in the show, because it's kind of a well-known story that this guy, who is one of the highest paid paranormal reality television stars, did actually um, come across his trademark hipster glasses because of... A situation in a haunted house that he bought. So, essentially, he gave an interview to Den of Geek. And they asked, how are your eyes? And he says, I still have the affliction. I still wear prism glasses 24-7. I mean, not when I'm sleeping, but it has not gone away. At this point, I have refused to do the double eye surgery because the doctor told me there is a risk of total blindness from doing that. Essentially, he, and I missed this last part of the documentary, Laura, you said it. I missed the best part. the entire house. (laughs) Yeah, okay. And stays in the house right okay and he records himself and then like i think during the night he gets um like incredible headaches and all of a sudden his vision is all fucked up and everything and so it ends up that it did give him um i don't remember the name of the diploia or dipaloia yeah but basically he sees double horizontally and so he has to wear special glasses all the time um, and to fix it, again, he would risk total blindness to fix it. So he just wears the glasses instead. And he still has it to this day, yes, I believe. Yeah, yeah, he still mm-hmm. has it to this day. Um, right. 
So it's it's a very um it's interesting and like I said anybody that is a fan of Ghost Adventures that certainly is crushing on Zach Bagans they're well aware of what happened to him. Um I think that everything that happened to the people that were in that home from Captain Austin to the the social worker Ms. Illick to um, Zach Bagans to I mean I don't believe in coincidence I don't I don't believe in coincidence um, and this location just has a little too much well and that I'll give you because there is like it seems like there's just constant bad yeah. things that happen to people during when they're in there or directly after. Um, yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. I think, um, and I know you said when we were talking about the social worker, when she, she broke her um, ankle running in flip flops and then mm-hmm. she broke whatever jet skiing. And then she, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a lot. Like that's like, don't do this, that like she made some, poor choices but at the same time that's kind of like if it were to happen to you or me we would be like what did we do to bring this <laughs> on us agreed and yeah. um you know the captain said that he had some weird things happen to him afterwards yeah um, mm-hmm. the young girl obviously mm-hmm. um and then um very tough and then very tough yes, yes dr barry taft dr. who barry investigated taft. it with Zach mm-hmm. before he locked himself in there. Yes. Um, he had gone and taken readings inside the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were some unusually high readings. There um, were. Yeah. At one point, and, Zach felt overcome with the emotion to attack Dr. Barry Taft. Right. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. then shortly after going to the house, Dr. Taft's organs began to fail and he was in the hospital for quite a while. In tandem, not just one organ, like no, all of bunch, them. Like all of them. His prostate, his liver, his kidney, mm-hmm. his, yeah, they all began to fail. And he, his doctors were perplexed as to why, mm-hmm. um, as right. was he. Um, it, and that's also with Zach's eye condition too. They, mm-hmm. they, they don't know what caused it. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a reason why so. I asked everybody to put whatever sort of shield of protection down around them because these entities are also known in this particular house, known to um, cause bad stuff to happen to anybody that might be discussing them, say, as on a podcast or to anybody that might be listening. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I love Laura and my whole family and her whole family and every single one of you and all of your families enough to not risk it. So if I say, hey, put down some, you know, shields of protection because what we're talking about may affect you. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't think. Right. Yeah. So, um, what I did want to say about Dr. Barry Taft is that, um, this didn't, it it wasn't 
a, a situation where he could just get glasses and then he would be okay. Um, moderately okay, like Zach Biggins. Um, I did come across in my research of other stories that Dr. Barry Taff did become st- and stay very seriously ill to the point where he had um, spent a lot of his money that he had made on various shows, certainly with Ghost Adventures, certainly with Ghost Hunters. Dr. Barry Taft is a well-known um, individual in the paranormal community. He spent mm-hmm. a lot of his money on his medical bills um, because of what happened uh, here at the Demon House. And um, he did uh, start a GoFundMe. He ended up needing to start a GoFundMe. To ask his fans and followers and readers for their help financially to um, help him with his medical bills. Uh, He did achieve his goal uh, is the very last thing that I read in the last couple of weeks. He did achieve his monetary goal um, to get the kind of therapies and things like that that he needed. But um, still kind of attributes, attributes it to this house to the house to the house which he was involved in the san pedro haunting that we covered mm-hmm. not that long ago and right. i remember he is very um he is a, a parapsychologist but leaning a little bit more on the skeptical bent so um you know make of that i can make i appreciate that. him yeah to be honest yeah um did you want to talk about the like the other explanation that a lot of people are giving? Yes, I do. All right. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't know how to word it though because I I don't necessarily fall into this. So I'm like, do you want me to talk about it? Yeah, go ahead. I can do that. All right. Okay. So the other explanation that a lot of people talk about with the home is that. Um, when Zach Bagans first bought it, he did get a home inspection. Yes. Um, and the home inspection did say that there was black mold in the house. Yes. Now, they said it wasn't necessarily circulating in the air, but it was there. Mm-hmm. And there was a slight CO2 leak coming from the furnace. So, the most common symptoms of CO poisoning are headache, dizziness, weakness, upset stomach, vomiting, chest pain, and confusion. Um they're flu-like symptoms and if you breathe a lot of it it can make you pass out it can kill you yeah um and a lot of people do die and it does lead to permanent brain damage now zach bagans did close himself into the house and board it up so there's no ventilation right so So if we were wondering why he's brain dead now we know right a lot of people will say that that's why everyone got so sick in the house. Right. 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 So, um, that is as far as a skeptic's take on it. Um, and what I researched, that's, that's what they're saying is that the home is just, was just basically poison itself. So, yeah. And is it a poison that is affecting everybody? Uh, or is it a more sinister demonic presence? Laura, what, is your take. I know what my take is, and everybody knows what my take is. Yeah, I know what your take is. Um, 
You know, with this, I have gone back and forth because the documentary is is really interesting, and so is the story. It is. And the fact that, um, you know, the person who convinces me the most is the first CPS officer. Oh, Valerie Washington, Washington yes. Because he because, interviews her later, years after, right? right? Right. And she, I mean, this fucked her up so bad, she moved mm-hmm. out away from Gary she even talks about it in the documentary. She went to therapy. She mm-hmm. had traumatic issues from seeing what she saw that really, like, stayed with her. So, yeah. to me, her response seems genuine and exactly what would happen if you did see shit like this, right? Like, you would get the fuck out of Dodge one and then one. two like be like I need to talk to somebody about this like you know what I mean that would and I think she even changed professions she couldn't do what she did anymore because it, it, it was too traumatic well and let's so, talk about that for just a tiny second like it as a social worker and she mentioned which was really hard for me to listen to she mentioned it hard. about the different cases that she had witnessed child mm-hmm. murder Children being burned, children being beaten, stabbed. Like, she had witnessed the worst of the worst child abuse claims. Mm -hmm. But this case ruined her. Essentially, like, wrecked her. Not ruined her, but they wrecked her significantly. So it it begs the uh, question, I guess, or, you know, let's introduce the conversation if you're a social worker and you know the horrible capabilities of humans to children Mm -hmm. but then you're introduced to a paranormal aspect of it and there might be a parent that is a good parent but then there's this paranormal mm-hmm. bent and you see a kid walk up a wall backwards and flip mm-hmm. over and yeah. shit like um stuff that you can't explain <sighs> yeah and that just like totally fucks you up and you yeah. know she was religious she does say mm-hmm. yep. um you know when she believed in the devil and stuff before this but never had she ever obviously expected to witness anything like that so after seeing all this other horrible shit she was like deuces i'm done mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and i don't blame her at all I, I don't either. I don't uh, either. You know, and she was I think, doing God's work already, you know, like uh, exactly being an advocate for children that couldn't advocate for themselves. So, um, what could that possibly do to your 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 level of thinking when you see all of this stuff, and then you have this other stuff coming in that has mm-hmm. a different. No, you have a completely different belief system as well. Yes, right? like so. Exactly. Maybe you're, now yeah. she's thinking it's demons everywhere. You know what I mean? I get yeah. it. Like it's hard. So I can't yeah, even I, imagine. I find, and again, I find her the most compelling. Because Me too. I, I feel her that yeah. she's completely relatable. She seems very honest. She's not even trying to make. She's not definitely not making any money on it. She's not mm-hmm. even involved. She's not in Gary. She's not. Like, and these are other is trying to move on with her life in a right real way and right doesn't have anything to do with it. Right. And then that's the other thing, too, is that there are people, medical professionals, the nurses, the doctors, mm-hmm. her, the other, the woman who had to replace her at DCS, the other social worker. Right. Um, who else? Uh, priests. 
There's a number of, of people in careers that had a lot to lose. Right. Right. That wrote reports on this. I'm sorry. I'm not going willing to give up my career on if I believe something is a bunch of fucking bullshit. Malarkey. 100%. Hooey. I'm not going to do that. These people stayed the course and they... They... And 10 years later, they stick to the story. Yeah. So, I mean, now we're talking like it's 10 years later. I don't remember when his documentary was done. Mm, I know it was. It's been a while. Yeah. 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 So, Um, but still, you know what I mean? They, they, nobody's changing their story here. Yeah. I don't know. It's a very compelling case. Interesting case. It's a very interesting interesting case. Yeah. Um, I definitely recommend you guys watch. The um, documentary, The Demon House, that Zach Bagans did, uh, his narration isn't great, but you know what? His storytelling is, so. Yeah, and it's on Discovery Plus if you guys are yeah. looking for it. Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. So what do you think? Laura, do you think it was real or what do you think? You're the skeptic. You know what I think. I buy it. Um, I'm here I'm not. It. I'm kind of on the fence. And like I said, you know, I think there was some shit that happened that's pretty hard to explain in the presence of multiple people. So that definitely gives it more credence. But I also think that the science behind it, the CO2, you know what I mean? There can be a lot for a lot of it. You can have a different explanation. So you can explain away quite a bit, but you can't explain away everything. I would Yes, I would say I would correct you in saying you can't explain away quite a bit, but a fair amount. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you um, know, if you're it, it's skeptical, there's you know, you can find yeah. stuff, but yeah. But, um, even but we'll never know because how that kid did that. I'm like, nah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I that that, oh, that gets me crazy. That gets yeah. me. That that's the one thing that gets me. Um, but we will never know because Zach Bagans had it torn down. And um, what he has kept in his haunted museum in Las Vegas is not really, I don't think, enough to really find out the truth of it. Um, Burn. But, you know, uh, I like it. And this actually kind of made me respect Zach Bagans just a skosh more. So. Good job, Zach. Good job, Zach. Uh, that's all I have. Is that all you have? That's all I got. Okay. Well, then let's do what we do. Hang on. I'm because I'm fucked up. Um, I have I this episode. I <laughs> we have no strange history, uh, nothing like that. But Laura, I think you might be able to tell them where they can follow us. Let's see. Sure. You guys can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at HOH Podcast. And you can find us on the TikTok at HOH Podcast, at HOH Carrie, and at HOH Co-host Laura. 
Yay. All right, guys. Thank you so much for watching. This was a long episode. Uh, we are closing in on one hour of the second half of the show. <laughs> so I uh, hope you guys are going to be doing road tripping like I am this weekend. And uh, I certainly hope that all of you stay safe out there because as fucking always and never more important than it is this episode, stay safe out there because you never know who or which demon is listening. <laughs> God, Laura. <laughs> Bye, guys. We love you. Be safe. See ya. <laughs>